Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 77, The Velvet Cage, recorded December 12th, 2011, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. This week, we're going to talk about vendor lock-in, how it's a nice, cushy, comfortable place to be, but it is very much a cage. What do you think of the title, Sean? The Velvet Cage. Yeah, I like that. I like where you went with that. Uh, I- I can't. I think I just put vendor lock in or something right. when I started up the show notes, but you know I'm not creative like that, so I always leave that to you. I thought about going with the padded room. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one too. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're just going to talk about some of the uh, the pros and cons, and there are there are both pros and cons to uh, to going with a specific vendor. You often hear somebody say that we're a Dell shop or we're an HP shop or um, even more generic, we're a Windows shop. So we'll talk about that uh, a little later on as we go on. But first off, uh, we want to mention something that is timely only to the zero people who are listening live right now. To everybody else, (laughs) it's already passed. (laughs) Right. The EduBlog Awards uh, voting ends on uh, the 13th of December. This show won't come out until the 15th of December. So transport yourselves back in time and vote for our show, uh, The Tightwad Teacher. And also, go tell me to buy stock in Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> right. Well, we do want to mention it again, yeah, it, uh, for any live listeners. And then uh, uh, also, uh, you know, follow up next week and listen in. And we'll uh, surely be talking about uh, what happened there. I mean, hopefully we'll be talking about a win or even a runner-up. I think it's uh, a winner and then a first and second runner-up for each category. Right, so it's a top three. Or at least that's yeah, the way so, it has been. Yeah, so hopefully we can uh, garner one of those uh, award uh, positions. But uh, even if we don't, I'm sure we'll have something to say about it next week. Yeah, I posted something on Twitter and Facebook a, a couple of days ago that I had seen people um, sort of digitally rolling their eyes about, oh, spare me the prom queen nominations of, of the Andrew Blog Awards. Oh, it's so pedestrian. <laughs> All these people begging. Screw that. We want to win, people. Right. <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. It'd be nice to get some sort of recognition. Yeah. Uh, Even if it's not for our show. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> I did go and look at... Uh, uh, our numbers on uh, what's that service with the uh, apples and stuff? iTunes. Uh, oh yes, and, and there have been people posting some comments. It was interesting. Uh, uh, there were all five star comments except one four star comment left by your brother Sean. He's the one bringing down our average. Oh really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to have a talk with him. But uh, it's it's good to see the people out there doing it, and we encourage you to do that again. And the reason is not so that you can stroke our ego, but that's how iTunes decides who gets placed in like the top um, categories. So if we can get, you know, a hundred people out of our uh, uh, much larger audience than that to uh, go and rate us on iTunes, you don't even have to make a comment, just put a rate. And once we get enough ratings uh, that are high enough, we can make their uh, featured list. And when you do that, that exposes you to more people. So we encourage you. I know that a lot of our audience uh, are Linux users and don't want to deign to lower themselves to the status of loading iTunes, <laughs> but do it just once for us, please. Right. Yeah. What What is iTunes up to now? Like 30, 40 gigs? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like an operating system in itself. Right. And they make you update it every couple of weeks. It's almost like uh, it's almost as bad as Android. 
<laughs> I, I heard uh, a great quote. I can't remember. I think it might have been Paul Therott on the Windows Weekly podcast. And they said uh, it was the quip was something like, Microsoft had its uh, largest ever um, patch Tuesday with over 300 vulnerability vulnerabilities patched, or as a Linux user calls it, Monday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Linux well, you know, uh, are all about patching early and patching often. I think operating systems and software are like humans. They get fatter with age. So. <laughs> <laughs> the middle age spread. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. So do they need to stop eating the digital mashed potatoes around the dinner that, table? Yeah, I guess so. You know. <laughs> Few less, uh, few less donuts. So, if you're interested in going back in time and listening to the EduBlog Awards the day before the show comes out, uh, you can do that at uh, EduBlogAwards.com at 7 p.m. Eastern. They'll be streaming their award ceremony live. I've never done that. I don't. Honestly, I doubt I will do it this time. But uh, I wonder if they've got like you know the envelope please and, and that whole thing. I don't. I don't know how they. I'm do gonna. It. I'm gonna do my best to to listen in. Uh, I'll have my two little ones at that time so i'm not sure how much you know i'll actually be able to pay attention to it but i'll probably have it up and streaming and at least be listening for that category to come up i'll actually be recording a show at that point so uh, i won't be able to do it yeah and which show is that that would be the one meal one workout with Ah, aaron butler um love that show thank you uh we we like doing it too that's probably of all of our shows that's the one that i'm i'm the biggest consumer of i guess i should say i'm you know have nothing to do with the preparation of that show at all and uh just completely i'm just a listener and i love it our audience is uh looking forward to uh becoming smaller consumers uh that's the whole reason we do the show uh Yes, that, that is, uh, it's helped me become a smaller consumer. Yeah. So <laughs> I did want to say that since the uh, Tightwad teacher has been nominated, nominated for an award, uh, I have decided I need to wedge myself into that show. So starting uh, at this week's uh, release that will be out a couple days after this show released, I'm going to be on the show as well with, uh, with Brian and John. Awesome, awesome. I, I, I don't know that I will have much to say, but uh, I'm going to be producing it and uh, because, you know, I, I've got to be involved at anywhere there's an award. i got to have my name <laughs> right, on it. Right? Probably. Yeah, i got to have the, the mark seal of approval. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. In one of the recent episodes, they called me. Oh, i got to remember what it was. They called me the supreme overlord of LMNOP Productions. I thought, oh, my gosh. That's, that's, that's a pretty accurate title. <laughs> As in, <laughs> hey, that's all right. Every every great venture needs somebody driving, you know, yeah. driving the uh, the bus, so to speak. I'm so. the Steve Jobs of Element Opie Productions. Right. No, that's terrible. <laughs> Go back and do it again. Fix that. <laughs> all right. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, moving on with the news of the week, uh, a new survey uh, says that Chrome is the most secure of the big three browsers. That IE comes in second, and then Firefox comes in dead last. And I would really? believe it a lot more if it wasn't paid for by Google. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's the only thing that makes me wonder uh, if that's a real thing. But the uh, survey, which I forgot to put a link to in the notes, but I will make sure I do that, uh, says that uh, uh, Google Chrome is the most secure browser. IE9 comes in second. And uh, Firefox, a relatively distant third 
according huh. to uh, this survey. <clears throat> okay. Did they give any provide any numbers behind that or? I'm sure reasoning? they did, but I was too lazy to read it. Okay. Um, so <laughs> yeah. So go read that if you're curious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Um, only because you know, I just anytime Microsoft does a survey that says Windows costs less than anything else, I don't believe that either. You know, I, I think these things uh, have to either be done by an independent organization or you just can't believe them. So well, and let's face it, I mean, they always originate from the marketing the marketing department. So right, and maybe right. there's no such thing as an independent person. Maybe I'm, I'm being a little pie in the sky about that, but um, you know, when when Somebody who pays for the survey gets the results that favor the person who pays for it. It's kind of hard to be surprised or, or motivated by that in any way. You know, it makes me wonder how many surveys they pay for. If it's truly, you know, through independent third party, uh, how many surveys they pay for that we never hear about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we commissioned 36 surveys and one of them got the results we wanted. And so that's the one we're going to let you know about. Right. The others we paid them not to to publish. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, I guess I'll move on with the next item. This is one that uh, I've been messing around with a little bit. Uh, Mark, you remember uh, App Inventor? You know, Google came out with this App Inventor for and then abandoned uh, Android. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, uh, kind of falling in line with what they've done here, what probably middle part of this year where Google decided that they were going to become focused and they got rid of like Google Labs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, App Inventor uh, is going the same direction. I think technically it's still running uh, through the end of this year, but, uh, but it's supposed to stop at the end of the year. Well, it got picked up by MIT as in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, so, uh, that project has been picked up by them and they will be carrying it on. Uh, they are going to make that a, like a, a public service, uh, supposed to be beginning of next year, like first quarter of 2012. Uh, but it's in a beta right now. So, uh, if you have been using app inventor in the past, you may want to go sign up for this beta. I did. I got a response relatively quickly. I think it was within 24 or 48 hours. I got accepted. Uh, you have to kind of put in there, um, you know, what your interest level is, what kind of line of work you're in and, and that kind of stuff. Real basic. It's a, it's a Google, uh, form actually that. Yeah. You gotta uh, that, love that. Uh, that app inventor sign up sheet is a Google doc. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. The uh, the URL is disgustingly long because it's a Google Doc, uh, but uh, I've got it in the show notes, and we'll get that posted. So if you want to go there, uh, sign up for the beta, uh, particularly if you are you know like playing around with uh, developing Android apps. Uh, and App Inventor has been picked up really widely by the educational community because it's uh, if you're not familiar with it, you can it it takes uh, like little modules and you kind of put them together almost like puzzle pieces and you can basically do some very basic app design uh, through a, a GUI and then uh, you can go in underneath that and start teaching some basic programming. So uh, a lot of classrooms uh, have, have adopted this and uh, I'm sure they're going to look forward to carrying that forward in the next year. Yeah, what's cool about it is it's not you're not going to build a serious app about it, but it's an educational tool that helps you understand the the workflow 
of Android development. And that's, you know, don't uh, uh, have the right expectations when you go in. It's not something that is a, an IDE for developing. It's a, it's a learning tool. Right, right. You know, serious uh, Android app developers are going to use, uh, I think the big one is Eclipse. Uh, as far as the IDE for uh, making Android apps. But uh, yeah, again, a lot of classrooms are using this because you can kind of build a basic framework and then get in and, and understand programming and learn some basic programming. Uh, I think it was actually designed based off of Scratch. Right, which, which is also an MIT um, product, right? No, yeah, uh, exactly. So it's, it's, it's really... Uh, you know, no mystery that this is where it should have gone. I'm glad that it did get picked up because it's something I think is worthy of carrying forward. Or Scratch Carnegie Mellon. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, Scratch was no, Carnegie Mellon. But it's, ho- it's hosted at MIT. It's it a, is? Thank you, Google. Scratch.mit.edu. So, okay. So okay. Uh, MIT has just decided to uh, be the host of these sort of tools, which is great. Somebody's got to do it. I'm glad to see yeah, you doing it. I've been playing around with it. It's uh, it's very beta. I'm going to say that. Um a lot of times you can't even access it. Um, and then when you can, there's there's a decent amount of bugs there, but uh, it's got a great community and there's a lot of people, uh, you know, working on it. And uh, the one thing I will say is when you sign up for it, when you actually get accepted, they automatically add you to a, uh, a listserv, an email list. And uh, you may want to opt out of that fairly quickly because uh, it's it's pretty active. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say that. Yeah, my email inbox like easily doubled once I uh, once I got that, so I had to go ahead and turn that off. Uh, it, actually, what I did is, uh, since I use Gmail, I set up a filter to filter that stuff into its own little uh, label. Right. Isn't it awesome when, when people do that, where they sign you up for things without asking, like the Facebook things where anybody can add you to a group? Uh, somebody at my church right. just arbitrarily added me to a group, and suddenly I was getting like seventy-five emails an hour from from all these different people that I barely even knew. It's like, <laughs> how? Did, where did this come from? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, this one was, and it, at the same time, I didn't want to. I didn't want to just go in and opt out of the because you can't opt out of it after after the fact. <laughs> um. But I didn't necessarily want to do that because when I'm playing around with it, if I run into something. I may want to look at those emails and uh, they're inevitably, you know, people having the same issues. So, uh, you know, it's a good thing to have when you're working in it, but otherwise uh, you don't want it in with your, you know, your regular inbox. All right. And uh, just one other thing of my own personal life that I wanted to mention, Um, about three and a half years ago. So this story goes back about three and a half years ago. Um, I bought some hardwood flooring to put down in my kitchen. This weekend, I put it in. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the stories of the hardwood flooring that's sitting in the garage. Yeah, it was just one of those things that uh, for scheduling, here's the the reason. I don't don't want to mean to to sell him down the river, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, My brother-in-law is sort of a a handyman, jack-of-all-trades sort of kind of person yeah sort of sort is of. Um, a stretch and he said for christmas that year he would uh put in the four for my wife 
because we had carpet in our kitchen. I don't know what person decided to put carpet in a kitchen, but literally the day we moved into this house, as we were stocking the fridge and I was pulling things out of the, the cooler and putting it in the fridge, I dropped a bar of barbecue sauce. This was in 1999, <laughs> and that stain was there until this weekend when we pulled that carpet up. <laughs> wow. Not only was it carpet, it was light beige carpet. So yeah. in, in a kitchen, that's just a bad idea. So anyway, um, for for various reasons, scheduling reasons and what have you, it just never happened, you know, because that's a pretty disruptive thing. It's going to take several days, and it's just not something you can do any time. So finally, our, our uh, wedding anniversary was this weekend. And so I said, all right, we're going to do this this weekend. I will do it with you or without you, but it's going to happen. And I said to my brother-in-law, and so he came over and, and ripped up the carpet while I was at work. And when I got back, uh, got home from work Friday afternoon, we got to it. And we worked Friday and Saturday and most of Sunday, and uh, there's still a few finishing up sort of things to do. These people who say that just snaps in and you're all, all done, they lie. <laughs> they lie. So, I'm surprised you did it then, then, so close to the Christmas break. Yeah, well, it was, again, it was that we had a date. We had a deadline. It was the anniversary. We were going to turn it into an anniversary present. Right. So uh, everything happens once you put a deadline on it. So I'm sitting here today. My knees are killing me. My back hurts. My fingers hurt. I had to go to work to rest today. <laughs> and then what's the first thing that happened when I get to work is a network link went bad that required me to spend half the day on a ladder running a new cable. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> So just, you know, uh, you can enjoy my misery. That's, that's all I, I say that for. <laughs> but the floor looks great. Well, good, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I look forward to seeing that someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, just if you look on my wife's Facebook page. She's been pasted, posting hourly updates. The floor's here. They've done this. But she's so excited about having a floor. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. And now I, I, have a, I have a feeling in a couple of weeks she's going to say, man, I hate sweeping and mopping this floor. I want my right. carpet back. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, huh. enough about that. Anything else before we get on to the to the actual content of the show? No, I say let's dig into it. You know, I've noticed as the shows have gone on over the, you know, we've done this uh, coming up on two years in a few months that uh, the uh, actual content of the show and the crap before the show, the proportions are changing. <laughs> I have noticed that, yes. There's more and more small talk and less and less content, but that's okay. <laughs> Actually, the shows just get longer. We're delivering the same amount of content. It's bonus material. That's right. It's like the extra d stuff on the Blu-ray. Sure. <laughs> uh, just a line that I thought was funny from uh, a recent episode of um, Big Bang Theory. They were going to okay. watch Star Wars on Blu-ray, and they kept getting inter interrupted. And one of the characters say, "If we don't watch this soon, George Lucas is going to change it again." <laughs> yeah, just, that came to my head. Thought I'd say it because it was funny. So anyway, uh, the Velvet Cage. The idea of vendor lock-in. Do you want to be locked into a vendor? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? We're going to talk about that uh, again. Partly, this comes from. Um, uh, my experience with uh, people often call me up, often, like uh, once or twice a week, and will say, what vendor do you use for X? And my answer is always, whoever has the cheapest price at the time I need it. Um, right. Our, you know, the computers at my school, we've had one vendor over the last few years that has sort of consistently been that, that low price person or offered the best deal uh, not not always the lowest price, but usually close to the lowest price. So we have a lot of their stuff, but I'm still I'm not in any way loyal to them. 
and as evidenced by the fact that the last time we bought something, their bid wasn't the high, uh, wasn't the lowest. I didn't go from the, with them, so I don't have any brand loyalty at all. I'm, I'm a terrible consumer in that regard. Whereas where you're, where you're at right now, they're pretty loyal in a lot of ways. They're pretty locked in oh, to certainly. a handful, a couple of uh, different vendors for different things, and and that's just where they are. So it was another interesting dichotomy to talk about. Yeah, I, I do want to jump in and say though, Mark, that uh, you're not like a strictly the lowest bidder guy. I mean, you do you do weigh the options, right? It's best value, yeah. And sometimes right. I have uh, uh, paid more for what I thought was better stuff, but the bottom line is my guiding line for the most part. Right. Uh, I think the only time, maybe maybe two times that I didn't go with the lowest bidder, there was like less than five percent difference between them. And I thought this person was a better, was worth 5% more. Right, right. Yeah, and you usually are going to recoup that value somewhere else. I take that seriously. I'm a steward of other people's money. Um, every dollar I spend is not mine. It's some, it's some taxpayer's money, be it uh, state funds that come through or federal grant money or local funds. So I'm going to spend that as uh, judiciously as possible, Where which doesn't seem to be the case where you work at all. Well, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty sure that they would, you know, if, if you put that statement to them and ask if it described them, I'm sure that they would agree that it does. Um, you know, I don't see anybody uh, necessarily making, you know, uh, uninformed decisions or, you know, just kind of on the fly decisions, things like that. Um, I guess it's but, just a different measure, a different scale by which you measure things. Certainly. And some of what we're going to talk about, you know, really applies to that because, uh, and, you know, we've had these discussions before uh, with other technology coordinators where, you know, they do feel that the extra money they're spending, they are, you know, getting it back somewhere else or they're saving themselves uh, money down the, down the road. And, uh, you know, those are the types of things we're going to talk about today. Okay, so let's start with, let's say you are um, a Dell shop, because I hear that all the time. We we buy all, all our Dells. And that's where I'm at. And uh, so let's just say that you're, you're in a place that all your machines are Dells. It could be they could all be Macs, or they could be all um, uh, HPs, so, you know, or whatever. Um, IBMs, they, they still make Lenovo. That's their new nameplate. But, but we're just going right. to say Dell because... It's an easy thing to say. So, well, let's say you're a Dell shop. What are the pros of being a Dell shop? And and the first one there is that everywhere you go, everywhere your users go, they're sitting at the same machine or similar machine. Right. Yeah, that's and that's the type of thing that I'm I'm seeing. Um, you know, the users they know what to expect, and of course we know. Most, you know, if you support computer users, you you know this, right? If you throw even the slightest little curveball at them, uh, you know, it, it's funny watching them sometimes because a pop-up will, will just pop up at them, right? They'll be using some software and something will pop up in their face and they're just like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah, I'm frozen. Yeah. Read, read what it says. Because yeah. <laughs> more often than not, it says, you know, do you want to whatever, press okay. You know, it's it, it's not, you know, the computer's not blowing up. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's how users are. That's their mindset very often when they're in front of a computer. So, of course, it's uh, just as bad the other way around. When you're trying to troubleshoot something and they say, oh, an error message came up, but I didn't read it. I don't know what it said. 
right. <laughs> and, and you're right. I mean, they, they never read these things. I guess it's because they they just they're constantly presented with them. So uh, you know, they just click by them or they stop and just you know I can't do anything. Right. Um, you know, but anything but read them. You know. <laughs> so. So, uh, but yeah. I, I see I see the advantage there because I, I see my users now, you know, in, in my day-to-day, uh, they can go anywhere around the, their campus or the district or whatever, and, you know, every computer is roughly the same. And the setup, you know, obviously, you even there where you're at, Mark, you try to present them a, a uniform desktop environment, things like that. But when the hardware and everything else is the same as well, um, it certainly adds to the little warm, fuzzy feeling you get. Right, and and I'm pretty sure we've told this story on the on the show before, but it, that all goes down to even the color of the keyboard and the mouse or the case. You know, we've we took some old uh, beige computers and put them in new black boxes, and the reception and uptake was tremendous. The same machines, the exact same machines, we took out of their machine uh, rooms because they said they didn't work. We put them in new black cases, put them back in the rooms, and they went, oh, these are awesome. These great new computers work great. Right. <laughs> it's because they had a visual perception. And so in a case where all your machines are Dell, Inspiron, 639047 or whatever, um, they know that that's what they're going to be get, and there's no, uh, you know, he has the better computers or, or we're stuck with the crappy computers. There's none of that. Right, right, yeah. Within reason, it is funny though because I can say uh, with Dell they have very standardized, uh, at least the models that we get. They all have a almost exactly uh, identical cases, but there's a little tiny tag on there that indicates which model number it is, and they have managed to figure that out. So they know that the 745s are older than the 755s and the 760s and. Uh, so they actually so, look for that label to to, to gauge, right. yeah, which is better. Right, right. So there's a there's a little bit of that that goes on, but uh, for the most part, even then, you know, you you're still somewhat standardized within a model range, and uh, there's not as much complaining. There's certainly not as much of that that goes on, you know. Um, because, you know, when you start dealing with maybe different manufacturers or uh, completely different uh, uh, cases and things like that, uh, you know, users don't know anything about the internals or the performance or anything else. Uh, sometimes it really is. You could probably put a computer that does not perform as well as another one, but if it has the slick looking case, that's what they want. Right. A la <clears throat> Apple. Yeah. Well, and the next thing kind of goes hand in hand with that is the when when everything's standardized, everything's interchangeable. And this could this could be hardware as well as software. You could have, you know, if if everything's a, a Mac and you've you've all got the i suite of tools, you know, those things are are drop in interchangeable. There's no compatibility issues. But also, in terms of hardware, if this this seven fifty five doesn't work. You've got a warehouse full of other 755s. You just drop right. one and right in place, or you pull one from a another location or something like that. They're interchangeable, or the you know the the guts within them. Uh, there's not a lot in, uh, that is interchangeable in a machine these days, uh, but uh, maybe the hard drive or the RAM. If something needs to be replaced or augmented, you could easily do that because you've got uh, other stuff on hand. Right. 
Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, certainly nice. And yeah, like you said, I mean, it's also, yeah, it's just a game of numbers. So, um, you know, the chances of you having that part are much higher. You know, there, uh, when I was with you, Mark, you know, if we had a certain model and, you know, we might only have one or two on hand that, you know, we could draw parts off of. Um, but yeah, we've got like a warehouse full of the stuff. So, um, you know, when something goes down, we're going to have something on hand. I can just pull a part out and slap it in and it's good to go. So it's convenient. It certainly is. And also you can call up the manufacturer who is also has an even bigger warehouse full of stuff and get that, you know, certainly uh, in the case of the one-offs that I like to buy, um, those machines literally don't exist anymore after I buy them. Um, that right. run of that run of motherboards doesn't doesn't you know it's slightly different now or that run of of hard drives is is slightly different now uh, that doesn't happen with Dell they're going to carry the same components for a while although we have experienced with Dell buying new stuff and then having to send it back for warranty uh, only a month or so later and then say oh we don't have that anymore we're sending something different so it's not always right. a guarantee. Well, and that, that also, I think, goes to um, kind of like the environment I'm in where we're getting funneled into a certain model line that they, I think they've really designed for that environment. So um, the support is longer term. Um, so we certainly don't, I haven't run into that at all, um, uh, which has been nice because, yeah, I've had experience with Dell kind of in both environments. And when you're buying the one-offs, certainly they're just... Uh, it, it's not not nearly as good a support. Um, so, you know, something to keep in mind because, you know, you if you're locked in and you're in that model line, then you're you're going to have more robust support. Uh, certainly. Well, and since you said the word, let's talk about support. Uh, when you are uh, standardized on a vendor. You also get standard support, uh, support you can, um, I don't want to say count on, but at least support that, uh, if it's mediocre, it's the same level of mediocre, uh, mediocrity everywhere else. Uh, right. You, you, uh, like for example, in, in the case of a Dell situation, um, they've got forums where there are thousands of people who have those same machines and have those same questions or have those same problems. Uh, but also, let's say we're talking about operating systems and then you uh, go with all Windows servers, you can go and get a Windows training and, and have a standardized set of skills specifically for that sort of stuff, where if you run a mixed environment, you don't necessarily have that option. Yeah, that was uh, one of the first things they did uh, when I got to my new district was they signed me up for the uh, Dell certification. And so I had to go through this uh, online testing, you know, study and testing uh, process to become a, I think it's a Dell certified, certified service technician. Because if you don't, you can void your warranty every time you try to work on one of those things. Right. And not only that, what that opens me up to is I can sort of fast track the support process and go in and uh, I can order parts on my own. So I can kind of go in and... Uh, sort of say, uh, I did this troubleshooting and list the things that I've done and order a replacement part without having to sit on, on the phone for an hour with some guy going, okay, did try to reboot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have done that more times than I care to count. And if, uh, 
and it is that that is they don't recognize i mean i've been doing this uh, almost 20 years but they don't recognize that because i don't have that dell certification so they treat right. me the same way they do uh as the 80 year old grandma from pahrump right <laughs> so yeah that that's actually uh is a huge perk if you're you're on the tech side and you're supporting those devices is uh, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of other manufacturers probably offer similar things. Like you were saying, Mark, you know, you can, uh, if you, if you're large enough and you're buying all, uh, window servers and, uh, whatnot, then, uh, you know, you might get some free training there or at least deeply discounted training. Yeah. And then and the next thing in the list there is, uh, that you've got, it's backed by a large company probably, or, or a long standing company. Uh, probably one of those two things. I mean, you're not going to standardize all your stuff on a new upstart, most likely. Right. Uh, so, which which is interesting because interesting sometimes the new upstarts are doing the best stuff. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit in the, the con category, too. But the pro is that you have this large multi-million dollar company um, that is going to um, – but theoretically, anyway, stand behind what you do. The, you know, the, the old expression from the 70s was nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Well, today, maybe it's nobody ever got fired for buying Dell or nobody ever got fired for buying Windows. Uh, there's, there's a certain amount of institutional inertia there when you're dealing with a large company or a multinational company or a longstanding company that just sort of makes people feel better. Whether it's accurate or not is a, a topic of debate. Right. Um, and then you also mentioned here in the notes ca- compatibility issues. Your Dells are going to work with your Dells, and your Windows software is going to work. With, your Windows Server is going to work with the Windows desktop, and your Mac desktops are going to work with. Do they even still make the Mac server? I think they canceled that, didn't they? Uh, I, I think, don't remember. Yeah, or the yeah, uh, Apple's been. I know scaling back on yeah. a lot of that kind of enterprise stuff, which is really weird since they seem to be aggressively trying to move in that direction. So, so. we'll say your iPads are definitely going to work with your iMacs, but they may or may not work so well with Windows. So you know, right. when when your everything is streamlined and everything is by the same company with the same vendor um, and the same uh, support chain compatibility issues go down at least in terms of uh maybe a percentage uh you you may still have the same amount of overall failures but they're going to be um (laughs) it's going to be systemic failure (laughs) sorry yeah well yeah the whole thing's going to fail instead of just i listed that i listed that in both the pros and cons because uh, there's two different ways to look at it um so uh, in the pros yeah like if if we develop a a software uh, to deploy uh, basically we can test it on that one machine, set it up, get it going. And we know that we can, uh, we can deploy it across the entire district and we're not going to have any issues anywhere. Um, everything's going to be able to run it. Uh, so as a number, as a pure number, we probably have less unique compatibility problems. All right. So I'll leave that at that. Uh, there is, a compatibility problem on the con <laughs> side. and We'll get to that in a little bit. All right. So moving on to the cons, those are the pros that that's the velvet part of the cage. And uh, now we're going to actually talk about the fact that you're actually in a cage, uh, the con part of, of vendor lock in. And, and the one that I have first on the list that, that uh, strikes to my heart is that it's hard to be 
um, adaptive. You can't move quickly. Multi, that big multinational, uh, fifteen year or or longer fifty year company, long standing multinational company that I just mentioned, doesn't turn on a dime ever on anything. So um, it's hard to be adaptive. They don't. They're they're not in the business of being adaptive for the most part. And so if you need to make a change, if if their current line no longer meets what you want to do, you have to wait for them to come out with another line. You got it. They they don't sell what you need. They sell what they have, and you have to take right. what they've got. And I was looking at uh, because uh, you did all of these cons or most of these cons, and uh, kind of a common thread that fits here, but I think goes all the way across the board is that nobody is big enough for them to care. Yeah, you're right. You, you know, you can call and complain all you want, and they don't care. You know, not enough that you, you're not going to be able to call in and, and effect any real change. You know, hey, this isn't working for me. I need this. Yes, yes, we're aware of that problem. Thank you very much. Yeah, that That's is what, a known issue. See Knowledge Base Article 2174. Right. Um, but so, when, you know, it, when you're dealing with your smaller vendors like you have, Mark, you know, you can, uh, you know, you, you carry a bigger stick with them and they're more attentive to what you're saying. So right. if you have a problem, it's it's going to be heard and uh, I think there's a higher likelihood that it's going to be corrected and more quickly. Right. In the, in the case of one of the vendors that we like to use, I'll go ahead and give them a free plug workhorse computers, check out workhorsepc.com. Uh, they are, uh, they do ship and deal with things internationally, but they, their home company, uh, their headquarters are an hour away from me. Now, I've got the owner's number you know, in my cell phone, her cell phone number in my, we're, uh, you know, I've got her on speed dial. I can call her up and say, Jill, this doesn't work. You got to fix this. Now I'm not a big fish by any means, but when you're a small company, you can't afford to even let the little fish go. And so, um, you get a great amount of, of, uh, personalized service when you deal with a small company or, uh, with a, a more, um, agile company, I'll say. It doesn't always have to be small, smaller. But, uh, right. you know, I can I can call them up and say, here's what I need, and they can custom build something for me. Now, Dell is capable of doing that. They have access to all the resources that workhorse computers do, even more. But they're not going to. They're not going to build me the thing that I want. They're going to push me to this line of computers where I can put a different processor in or a different amount of RAM in if I want but it's whatever's already in their production facility and what I want may be slated for production in 2015. And if I just wait for it, I'll get their, you know, their tablet <laughs> that I want, whatever. Whereas your, your small local guy probably has a contact with a Chinese manufacturer that is making the iPad and also making their own knockoffs of the iPad and can get you what you need, um, you know, right away. Right. I often find that those those partnerships that those little people have because they have to fight to survive can be very ben- ben- beneficial um, in that they um, are eager to get you what you want and the companies that they deal with are as eager. Right. Um, sometimes, not always, there's a higher upfront cost when dealing with the small vendor. Um Sometimes this applies mainly to software more than hardware because in the hardware is such a tight market that everybody has pretty tight margins and runs pretty close to the same. But in the case of, say, software, 
um, Microsoft can offer deep, deep, deep discounts to education, like 70, 80% off what they ordinarily charge, knowing that they're hooking those students on their product and that when those students go out and buy products, they're going to buy Apple, uh, Microsoft products. Apple did the same thing. Apple put uh, billions of dollars, well, uh, billions today, millions then, um, into education, giving away practically giving away hardware and software to schools and the idea of hooking them on their product. And I think we can see today that the, the fruits of that labor have, have paid off. There's a whole subsection of the quote-unquote creative people out there who won't consider anything else but a Mac. And I think a lot of that started back in the early days in schools. So we, you may often pay a higher price for being unique. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's Apple's the perfect one to bring up there because, uh, you know, you see so often in education where they just have this, uh, uh, what is it, like a undying devotion to Apple. And I think a lot of that is, you know, it goes back in history, you know, that something that Apple cultivated a long time ago. And once you start that, you know, they probably loved them back then because, hey, they're giving us free computers. They're, you know, they're helping education. And uh, it started like that, but it, it became this, uh, you know, undying loyalty that has, you know, carried all across all these years. And uh, of course, you know, they've, they've got great products too, but uh, I, I think that's where that started. So sometimes you may have to pay a little more, but, but like I said uh, earlier with the hardware thing, um, Dell has never even responded to one of my bid requests that I've put out for my school. You, in, <laughs> in Texas, you have to submit a request for proposal. There's a whole process you have to go through. And you're required to give it to anybody who asked for it. They asked to be on our, our bid list. And so dutifully, for the last 15 years, every time we've bought something, I've sent them a bid request. They've never responded to it because I didn't want the thing that was on their shelves already. Right. Um, so I can't even compare cost, really, because they've never they've never offered. But HP has a couple of times, uh, and Gateway, back when they were still a company that you would uh, care about, uh, responded a couple <laughs> of times. But the local vendor, we're always able to provide uh, better service. For example, um, in the case of Gateway, they were selling the computers less than my local guy. But it was a depot. They were going to drag a, a, a big truck up, drop a pallet off, shrink-wrapped on my front sidewalk, and drive away. Whereas for maybe 2 or $3 more per computer, the local company was going to come, set them all up, plug them all into the wall, take all their trash away with them, and I was all I had to do was turn them on. That's, that's the kind of thing that you get from a little guy, and you don't get that from a big guy ever. Right. Uh, when yeah, you talk to uh, when you talk to Dell or somebody like that, they'll say, "Well, we have installation partners, and we can we can let you talk to them." And you know, you ask those guys to come out to you know Froglick, Texas, and they're like, "What? I don't I don't even want to talk to you. Go away." <laughs> well, I'm not in Froglick, but we're going through that right now. Where uh, we've got uh, about 450 new computers that just got dropped on us. And uh, we have an installation partner that is going to be installing all of those for us. But, you know, again, that's an that's an extra ex expense uh, to keep in mind. And like you said, Mark, I mean, sometimes you can do that cheaper through the little guy. Right. And then the ongoing support 
in my experience, is a toss-up. Sometimes it costs more uh, with the little guy, and sometimes it costs less with the little guy to get replacement parts and service and to get uh, a Dell tech out to repair something. Um, it's kind of a coin toss uh, in terms of, of the ongoing expense, in my experience. What, what do you have to say about that one? Yeah, I, I'll have to agree with you. And I, again, uh, and we've said this on other topics that uh, kind of depends on your situation. Um, uh, you know, it, where I'm at now, you know, a tech is a, a very base level tech. Um, and they don't really want you to be, uh, I guess, a more advanced troubleshooter. So uh, they want us doing specific things. They don't want us uh, spinning our wheels on, uh, you know, trying to figure out this problem with this hardware set or that problem or all the little nuances and things like that. Um and it's a game of numbers. So we have many more techs, many more devices. And so uh, if we were to have an experience uh, problems like that, then we're going to start losing a lot more money uh, on those problems. Um, so in a smaller environment, I certainly can see where I think you're actually a little bit better off because uh, it, it's kind of a game of numbers. And you touched on the next point there uh, that, when you're dealing with a small company, the, you're more likely to have compatibility issues with uh, particularly, say, your hardware and your software. So if I bought somebody um, who's building the machines in their shop uh, and they bought the cheapest sound card they could um, from China, that worked fine with Windows XP, but when I put out Windows 7 it doesn't recognize it and there's no driver website to go to. So when you have compatibility issues, they can often be a lot more crippling uh, and a lot more widespread. Whereas a big company like Dell, the, um, the they're going to make sure that all their components meet, for, for example, Microsoft Windows standards. They have to. They get that little window seal on them. They're not going to sell anything that doesn't work with, with Windows. It doesn't have drivers in it, whereas the little guys um, aren't necessarily going to do that. So tom- sometimes you get a, you really do get into, into a case of you get what you pay for. But it's been my experience that that's not often. Yeah, and but, you know, there's also uh, another side to that, too, because in a small environment, uh, you know, I think of, like, uh, we have this test software from Pearson that we need to run. Boo, Pearson. Yeah, but in a, in a small environment, um, you know, it, it may not work everywhere, but you're more likely to have somewhere that it does work. Does that make sense? That's a good point. Um, but you know, in a large environment where you're locked into a vendor, if something doesn't work, it does not work. You don't have anywhere in your district that you can run it. Yeah. Oh, this Uh, software doesn't work with the video chipset in the Dell 8102. Oh, great. We've got 9,000 Dell 8102s. Right. So that, that, you know, that's where uh, I was talking about, you know, the fewer compatibility issues by number on the, on the pro side, but on the con side is when you do have compatibility issues and you're locked in, uh, that can be a huge problem. That's true. So. All right. That was our rundown as we see it. Um, anything else, Sean, that you can think of? No, no, that's a, that's a good, I think, uh, kind of sky level view, you know view from the clouds uh, we didn't get too much into i know uh, we've had discussions in the past uh, through email with 
numerous technology coordinators out there uh, about the dollars and cents of all of this. And uh, I, you know, I still tend to lean more towards the don't get locked in right. side. Uh, it certainly makes more sense uh, when you're smaller. And I don't know where that line cutoff is. I think once you get up to a certain size, uh, it it gets to be a much more complicated game. And uh, those are the type of numbers I love to crunch, but <laughs> I haven't I haven't been able to at, at the large level. So, uh, you know. What what the the holy grail is to be be able to be a large organization that can be nimble and adaptive like a small organization. You know, if you if you could crack that nut, then then the world will beat a path to your door. If um, um, Orange County schools, of which you know California, of which there, right. there have to be hundreds and hundreds of campuses, uh, could figure out a way way to be as adaptable. And as mobile as the tiny little Texas school with 600 students uh, total that I work for, that would be awesome. But generally, what you end up with is a large organization with a lot of inertia buys from another large organization with a lot of inertia. And between the two of them, um, the Titanic is set on its course, and you're either going to get where you're going or you're going to go down in the midway. Right, right. Yeah, that's it, it, that's really hard to achieve. I mean, you can take a large organization, you could break it down into smaller parts so that, you know, you could take a district like mine and maybe break it down into, you know, six or eight or 10, you know, smaller parts that were kind of run like, like your district. Uh, that's one way I, I could think of where you could do that. But ultimately, what ends up happening is you add quite a bit of management overhead to that situation. Yeah. Because somebody's got to try to coordinate it all. So, uh, you know, maybe the money that you save, uh, at, you know, at the line level, uh, you're just eating it up in uh, in managerial salaries. So, uh, you know, it, it is a sad kind of truth. But you're right, Mark. I mean, that's pretty much the way it goes. And not only in education, but business. I mean, you know, the larger a business grows, the less nimble it becomes. Right. Yeah. Microsoft is a prime example. Uh, they got where they started in like 1978 by uh you know thinking fast and moving loose and and selling product they didn't even own and today they're this behemoth that uh still thinks they can sell zunes uh in 2011 <laughs> they're just calling them windows phones now uh, <laughs> so uh, it, that's going to be our, our wrap up our look at it uh, and we're we'd like to know what you think uh contact us we'll give you the information surely you know it by now but we're going to do it anyway because it's in the show notes uh, contact us and let us know what you think uh, do you like to uh, buy from the mom and pop shop or do you like to buy only big iron and tell us why and we'll uh, we'll report back with our uh, listener comments on it and uh, sounds good so for now we'll move on to our our tech tip of the week and this is brought to us by a listener uh, our uh, perennial friend Bjorn Berent uh, sent me this and this is a tool similar to other tools that I've talked about before but you can never have too many of these things in your digital backpack I'm going to see how many times I can use the word digital on a show I've done that several times already um, okay this one is called Double Driver, uh, and it, like uh, some of the other tools that we've talked about, will take all the drivers on a working machine, uh, scan them, find out what they are, back them up somewhere, and then uh, if you are going to be doing some work or whatever, or re-imaging a machine or, or something, reinstalling the OS, it will then 
put the drivers back after you've wiped the machine. So uh, if you've, uh, I can't, what's the one that you like for that, John? I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. Oh, I am too. I want to say driver doctor, but I'm not sure that's it. No, that's not <laughs> it. So, yeah, so you don't do that anymore. You've, you've moved on from, from that kind of work. Well, uh, yeah, and that actually is a good point to make because, yeah, when you have that vendor lock-in, uh, searching <laughs> for drivers and things like that are a thing of the past. Yeah, your drivers are go to the Dell website and then download what you need. Right. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the, they're Driver Max. That's the one that we, we use. Yes, Driver Max. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, driver Max is a good one. There's, there's several of them. We've, we've done, uh, gosh, 84. I think this will be our 85th tip of the week. And in that amount of time, we've done several of these sort of tools. But this one is one that Bjorn recommends, Double Driver. And there'll be a link to, uh, you can find it all over the place, but uh, I've got a link to one of the many download sites in our show notes. So check out Double Driver for all your driver needs. All right. And thanks, Bjorn. I, I want to throw a, a quick plug for Bjorn out there. He has a site, askbj.net. And he's a uh, Google certified trainer and he, he provides training, a lot of training for free on his site and uh, he'll do uh, some paid for training too. Not to mention his own weekly podcast, googleweekly.net. Uh, right, Google-weekly.net. right. Google-weekly.net. So, so uh, uh, check that out. He does a weekly podcast all about the Google goodness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a, a good friend and a great listener of the show as well. All right, John, what's our teacher tip for this week? All right, uh, I have it listed as just the kids should see this. Uh, the website itself uh, is thekidsshouldseethis.com. Uh, and it's, I almost want to call it a blog because it's really what it looks like. It just looks like a blog that's got a bunch of videos listed, but it's a, it's a neat collection of videos for the classroom. Uh, so, it, you know, they don't have anything unique you know, from their site, but it's a, they've just gone out there and grabbed all of these great educational videos and kind of put them in one place for you. So there's videos on there that are hosted on YouTube and Vimeo and all kinds of places out there on the net. And they just give you one nice little place you can go. Uh, they're heavily weighted towards science. Uh, they're mostly short science related videos, although there's some that are related to the arts some music and dance and stuff like that. But, uh, I know, from personal experience that teachers love to have these sort of repositories a lot of uh, you know discovery education uh, is real popular popular with teachers because they can go there they've got this repository of educational videos that they can draw on and incorporate in their lessons uh, this is looks like it's just from a private person uh, but uh, I stopped counting the videos at 105 and it, this thing just kept going and going and uh, uh they're just really neat. It's one of those sites that you could sit there and probably waste hours watching video after video because they're, you know, these neat, unique science experiences or experiments or videos and things like that. Uh, so uh, plenty that you can use in the classroom. So add it to your list if you're a teacher and uh, you like to uh, use these types of things. Uh, the kids should see this dot com. And while we're talking about educational videos, it's a good time to mention that just this week uh, today, as of our recording, uh, YouTube has an education section now. YouTube dot com slash education. Google has uh, uh, created a place. Uh, the idea is that a lot of schools filter YouTube. Uh, but you, this is a URL that you can unfilter, and Google is curating the stuff that goes there. 
so that it's all educational and um, safe for students of all ages. Uh, YouTube, Very nice. YouTube.com slash education. So there's a little freebie there. There you go. And also, uh, Oki Jason in our chat room uh, mentioned his his tip of the week, and I'll go ahead and mention it because I think it's funny. Um, it's called You Have Downloaded dot com and somebody uh has collated a list of um torrent downloads by ip address so basically they're uh they're scanning the torrent networks and logging it all so you can enter your ip address or if just when you go to the website go to you you have downloaded.com you go to the website it detects your ip address and tells you all the illegal stuff you downloaded via torrent or you can (laughs) enter your own uh ip address uh ip address in there and it'll find that so uh some of you right now are running scared to your browser to type in you have downloaded.com because uh, i can assure you the uh, riaa if they're not already using it they will be uh so <laughs> if you're one of those hurt locker downloaders uh you're not as um uh shall we say anonymous as you might have thought you were at one time right <laughs> so yeah you wow. have downloaded.com all right and so there you go that's an extra bonus you got two bonus tips this week see we didn't yeah. even hoard those J- jason uh, said to me in a, in the chat room that maybe you could uh, save that up for next week but no i'm gonna get that right out there i'm gonna give him credit for it i'm not gonna hoard it but Is i will he, say so he's typing that in the chat room i think I'm, i must be well, disconnected it's, it's or private something. message to me oh okay okay so he was trying to be discreet but i just outed him uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say that i'm out of tips this was my last one i've said that before and yeah. my listeners have rallied around me and given me new tips like this one uh from bjorn but uh i'm out again so if you want a tip next week it's gonna have to come from you um and the place you can get that to me is at our website at elementop.com you can uh, there's a contact link up at the top there or you can find us on twitter uh twitter.com slash element or facebook.com slash element or google plus search for element op uh, or if you want to give us a voicemail you can dial 559-IAM-OP leave us a voicemail we'll play it on the show or just right there from our website there's a widget up at the top right corner that says leave us a voicemail I'm not very creative with the names. Uh, And Google (laughs) will then call you, and you can leave a voicemail. But one other thing I wanted to say, uh, in this holiday uh, shopping season, uh, if you're going to be doing any shopping on Amazon.com, I would encourage you to please use Amazon.com, excuse me, elementopi.com slash Amazon to get there. Uh, It'll take you right to the uh, Amazon website. You may think you even typed it in wrong because it just, does it's just seamless um and you get all the same catalog and all the same service and no prices are any different but we get a small referral link uh a referral fee for linking you there so once again if you're going to be doing any online shopping please do so at elementopi.com slash amazon john anything else to say before we say good night man no this is just another great show as always All right. I enjoyed this one. I hope you enjoyed this one. And for now, I'll just say this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off.